I learned to love myself unconditionally through that my most brokenness. I learned to heal my self-hatred with love. And I got connected to God through all of that. And it's so humbling. <laughs> I was stripped of all judgment. And now with people, I'm just like, I see you. I love you. I see myself in you. I see you in me, even the worst parts, the best parts. And just while I'm here, you know, like incarnated, I just want to be loving. Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We're on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore these ideas and practices that help us live healthy, connected, and purpose-filled lives. You can learn more about our courses, our community, and everything else we do at onecommune.com. Danielle Laporte believes everything is a matter of the heart. She's always been a poet, but after being a bartender, an apartment manager, and a nanny, Danielle went on to run her own publicity agency and a future studies think tank, studying trends for the likes of the Pentagon and the World Bank. Today, she is the author of The White Hot Truth, Clarity for Keeping It Real on Your Spiritual Path, and The Firestarter Sessions, a guide to creating success on your own terms, which also spun off into a whole coaching curriculum. Her latest project, The Desire Map, is a book that has been translated into 10 languages, a day planner, a top 10 iTunes app, and a workshop and coaching program in more than 15 countries. And most importantly, The Desire Map is now available as a course on Commune. This is a super special collaboration where Danielle and her whole team came to the Commune Lab here in Topanga, and we ate and cooked and hiked and sauntered and sweated and laughed for a whole week and produced a very beautiful and heart-centered course. This result is the Desire Map. From May 20th to 29th, we'll be releasing the first 10 parts of this course for free. So just go to onecommune.com to sign up. Starting next week, we'll also be airing selections from her course on the podcast. The central teaching of the Desire Map is about discovering your core desired feelings, how you want to feel most of the time, your most preferred states of being. Once you align with your core desired feelings every day in all of your choices, you'll be living and giving with intention. So in this interview, I sat down with Danielle to get some spiritual perspective on what it means to move and live from the heart and how in order to experience joy and light, we must also acknowledge the shadow side of life. I'm your host, Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. Because I know the story about how Desire Map began, or I've heard you tell it, mm-hmm. where you're sitting there on New Year's Eve and you're writing your big plans for the next year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you look at that and it looks kind of transactional. It looks maybe not too inspired. It looks more like a to-do list. To-do list. Yeah. yeah. And that gave you that initial spark of like, wait, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something 
more, something more inspired to live for. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gave birth to this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then it took off, and it's been five years, and I feel like I just recently figured out what it was really about. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, no one's getting their money back, but... <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, it's a lot better now. Yeah, so, so what is that? What does that evolution look like? Well, I think even with the concept of being clear on how you want to feel and doing whatever it takes to feel that way, I still thought I have to purify my mind, I have to cleanse, I have to purge, I have to practice. And I lean towards, you know, the mental. And then... This is my conclusion now for myself. I don't know if it works for everybody else. I think if you want to get to God, to fulfillment, you will have to go through the heart. You can ashram it out. I'm, I'm going to just be so bold as to say, you could do many lifetimes just sitting in lotus. And until your heart is broken, you just aren't going to get there. Yeah. And do you use that word, God? More than I used to. Yeah. Me too. I'm less apologetic about it. What does that mean for you? I want to be really inclusive when I use the term. If I can't be in a room with people who have some flexibility around the word God, we're probably not a match, <laughs> right? Like just have done enough work that you can adopt it for yourself. God really makes things easier. You want to use God very inclusively and, and, yeah. and so do I. But there is also this sort of institutional God there out is. there. And I use out there yes. as Thank you, on religion. purpose. Yeah. yeah. Of, you know, that God is something to be worshipped that is outside of you, that is something that is separate from you. And for me, that reinforces this notion of living, of, of disconnectedness from your spirit. And emphasizes one's proclivity to live from the ego. Yes, it's performance-based. And so while I want to be cool with this expansive definition of God, I look at the institutional religion's way of treating God, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. Mm. But I also want to respect people's upbringing and mm -hmm. their traditions. Mm-hmm. Which is why if I have a microphone or I'm on stage, I say, God, life, spirit, father, mother, God, whatever works for you. I'm just going to let you know that I'm just going to use God right now. And it's taken me a long time to use God and really feel it. Like I felt life. I felt God. I made my departure. I was like, I'm just going to worship the divine mother for a while. I'm just going to call it spirit because Catholicism did a number on me big time. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that I really got it. <laughs> like I went to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school. But still, even in my most still moments, I felt like there was a male authority figure. And he was dividing everything up into good and bad. Right. And, uh, you know, and it wasn't until, I mean, it's such a homecoming story, right? Until I super, super crashed. Where I was just like, oh, it's all church. What was that super crash? Well, the end of it was, a, it was a rebirth process. 
I'm still looking for a label for it so I can explain it. It wasn't a nervous breakdown, but it was close. I had full control of my faculties. I was in touch with reality, but I was falling apart completely. I've identity shattered, waking up with suicidal thinking. Uh, At one point, I found myself in the ER asking for anti-anxiety medication. Everything was new to me, not wanting to be alone. I had never experienced any of those kinds of things before in my life. Did you have someone to go to? Yeah. I had my inner circle of girlfriends. I also lost a lot of friends uh, last year and relationships shifted. So I really, there was sort of this kind of clearing of the decks. And then when I was in crisis mode, you really see who, who's gone to their own depths and who can meet you there. And not everybody can, but it doesn't mean they're not still on the deep friend list. But I had a great, still have a great psychologist. Um, I have a, you know, what I would call an energy worker, a spiritual counselor. That was the team. Mm-hmm. Do you think people need to have that team, need to build that infrastructure? Yeah, yeah. I think you die without it. I think you'll die a spiritual death, a psychological death, and who wants to die alone? But, oh, it was relationships that healed me, for sure. And did that change the way that you thought about spirituality? And and I say it this way because there's this notion that we are all on an individual path, and this spiritual path is, is, is something that belongs just to kind of us and us alone. Like, you know, God has no grandchildren. You know, my, my relationship is direct. And I read this quote that Brene Brown wrote, and I'll totally butcher it, but I'll get the point across, which is that spirituality is recognizing that we are all connected to each other by a power that is greater than us. And it really shifted my thinking of the spiritual path from something that is individual to something that is actually communal and connected. Mm-hmm. Did that shift for you when you had to lean in to your community? Mm-hmm. 100%. One of my experiences was that I didn't want to be alone. And this is coming from someone, you know, I identify as an introvert. I love it when I have no voicemail. I, my favorite thing is home alone and with my kid. But solitude is totally my jam. And I was at a point, you know, I was calling up friends in the morning just saying, can I just come and work in your space today? I'll just sit there in the corner and be quiet, but I can't be alone. So there was that. But also... Like at the bottom of the brokenness where you go down and you're feeling crazy, but all your wisdom is there and all your love and all your acceptance. And I mean, these are big words, but I just felt like oneness. I just, and all the compassion I had to muster for myself. I learned to love myself unconditionally through that, my most brokenness. I learned to heal my self-hatred with love and I got connected to God through all of that. And it's so humbling. (laughs) I was stripped of all judgment. And now with people, I'm just like, I see you. I love you. 
I see myself in you. I see you in me, even the worst parts, the best parts. And just while I'm here, you know, like incarnated, I just want to be loving. And so about judgment, because I think this is something that is one of the greatest barriers for us to recognize our highest potential or, you know, self-actualize, is the fear of judgment. Yeah. And... Of not being liked. It's yeah. It's really simple. Right. I want to be liked. And is that okay? Because if I can leave my little self outside the door there, then I don't care what anyone thinks of me. Because I am not what anyone thinks of me. I'm not what I have. I'm not what I do. I'm not my resume. I'm not what I make every year. I'm not in competition with others. I'm not separate from God. I'm not separate from other people. That's my little self. I've left him outside the door. So why do I care what people think of me? Because you're human and we are separate. Because we're living in, all, in this like divided existence. We're in these little suitcases called bodies. Like we're not in a constant state of oneness. It hurts. It hurt. And to be misunderstood, to have someone like think a lie about you. And really, like, the big lie is when we think we're not one and we think we're not divine. It's like, you think I'm not divine? You think I'm not love? Ouch. I know I am. Let me just keep reinforcing. I know I'm love. You can. Th I cannot judge you. I think the answer is both. And, you know, I'm always going to have an ego. I'm not aiming for enlightenment this lifetime. I mean, I do want to die just by sitting under a tree and then just kind of floating off <laughs> into the cosmos. I want to have an intentional death. But I'm okay with caring what people think. It's just, it's on a spectrum. How much do I care? And I think part of caring what they think is, it's like an act, it's part of loving yourself. I want to be as loving as possible. I want to communicate as clearly as possible. I want to get the point of, myself across. If you think otherwise, I should consider how good I'm doing at the love thing. You might have something to say to me about how I could polish that up. So it does matter. So you're a mom. And I'm a mom, yeah. I mean, what are the lessons that you... Because oftentimes we look at our children and it helps us to codify who we are at our best selves. Yes. So what are those lessons? I think I am at my most godly, loving, compassionate when I'm with my kid. And I actually, I actually translated my best mothering self into helping me understand how God must regard me. Like, for instance, I may be tested, but I'm pretty convinced right now I love my child unconditionally. And if he needs me to listen to him, I may not be resentment-free, but 
If he, he needs an hour of listening, I'll give him all day. If he wants one hug, he gets 10. I only want the best for him. This was a big aha for me in terms of how creation wants to hold me. If I could suffer for him, if I could spare him of pain, I would do it. I know he's going to grow from it. I know he's got to go through his lessons, but not only would I suffer for him, I think I would do it joyfully. And maybe I'm giving myself way too much credit, but at least that's my inclination. And if that's my inclination as a little human who is taking care of a child, like just imagine (laughs) how the cosmos just wants, like, yeah. And the, the lessons collided for me. Like that's my way of loving. And sometimes it's aspirational and sometimes it's reality. Um, and in our house, there's no shame. There's no shaming. That's me being a bit judgmental, but I remember, I think we've all seen this scene, you know, you're in a department store and the kid's crying and the parent wants to go and the parent says, I'm, go- I'm leaving. That's a lie. And it's such a mind fuck to a little mind. Like, so I tried to never do that kind of gameplay stuff. It's just like, we need to go instead of I'm going to abandon you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, you know, I was thinking about how with my son, he's 15, how I, I, I actually love him when he brings me his pain and I can help alleviate it. I feel like more of me. I feel more lit up. I feel more powerful. I was at a workshop in Taos, New Mexico, and I was really moving towards my unraveling phase. And I came out of this session I'd had with a shaman and my, my psychologist, Anne was there and she just took one look at me and I looked at her and it was like, I was not okay. And she took me down to the river and uh, just let me cry. And, you know, there just put her hand on my back the way a friend knows to do. And then I got into the river by myself and freezing cold, big, big damn deal for me because everything's about being warm. And I just realized there is this pain. And this gets back to your point about the solitude of your journey, like your own individual spirituality. And I thought, wow, there's this pain that nobody can help me with. Nobody. It's the fucking worst. Like not your best friend, not your lover, not your psychologist who knows everything. Not even the shaman could touch it. I wanted to die. For me, it was agony. It felt so bleak. And I realize a lot about pain that really so much of pain is the expectation, the feared expectation that it's going to continue. If I could just be with it, it will go faster. I mean, I was really baptizing myself in this cold water and I just became aware. And I mean, I could be wrong, but God wants my pain. Hmm. And the only place to put that level of pain was upward. And I just, I didn't even feel like the depth of my perceived unworthiness was I didn't even feel worthy enough to give my pain to God. Like, I'm really oversimplifying this, but like, sorry to bother you, but I'm in agony, dear creator of all things, (laughs) right? I believe that pain is density, in the flow. It's like this illusion that gets caked and baked and it blocks us from the true reality. It's like every pain point, it's just like this log 
and and life is the fire. Just like throw your log of pain on the fire. That's creation. And it just turns into truth. Turns into truth. Give me your lies so I can make it truth. So just like I say to my kid, tell me your story so we can figure out what's real in this. So we can figure out what to do next. So now I just give it up. And I never got what that meant. I mean, in my whole rebirth, there's all these isms that I've even been talking about. I have made money off of these isms. And I didn't fully get them on a cellular level. And one of them was, just give your pain to God. I had no, I didn't get what that meant. Now I do. Now you do. Yeah. We feel like we're accumulating tools, you know, over it's the course heavy. of our it's life. It's a lot right? of tools. Yeah. And... And then all of a sudden, here we are, maybe halfway through our output, <laughs> and something knocks us on our ass. And we're supposed to be the teachers. I mean, you're, you are. I'm sort of a torchbearer for the teachers. But we're never beyond getting knocked on our ass, I guess, right? Never. And you never see the crucifixion coming. <laughs> That's the nature of it. And then those things can be your greatest teacher or they can take you down. I think both happens. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think we don't have to suffer. I struggled with this one for a long time. The suffering is the way, the pain is the power. I think it's a given. If you're here on the material plane, you're going to have pain. I think it's inevitable, but I don't think it's necessary. It sounds contradictory. I don't think we have to suffer as much. And this is the power of you being the torchbearer and of me telling my story and somebody else telling their story is like, we really are in this together. I can help you with your learning curve, but you have to be open to it. But now I, this is another benefit of what I've been through. This is an irony because I'm so much more my own guru now. I'm also so much more open to other people's teachings. Like now that I've had my own acute suffering, wow, I really believe in other people's suffering. I believe their stories. I think it's a lack of judgment. It's because I carry less judgment now. I'm able to see more people as teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why do you think people resonate with you so deeply? Mm. What is that connectivity, that spark that you have that motivates so many people? I am really honest. Even in my arrogance, I would call them the days of arrogance, I was still being really truthful about what I was going through. I'm pretty good at, at being real. And that's magnetic. I think we crave it in everybody. Like I just, even coming up here, you know, everybody listening, we're, we're, we're on the grounds of Commune and Topanga it really is this beautiful community of business and and freaks <laughs> and great weirdos. Yeah. And you know, we're all trying to serve. But like even the first night here, it's like this cradle of love. And after, you know, we have this community dinner and I'm just like really aware of like, oh, I just really want to connect with everybody. It's this really it's intense. For me, I just want the real story. It's not even that I'm committed to being real. It's just really painful for me to be otherwise. And if I have been insincere in a situation, 
I really feel it. Are there practices that you go back to every day? Yeah. What do you do? Well, I breathe. And now, this is another thing I used to think I knew about, but I didn't get until recently. The breath, the breath, the breath. And there were days when I realized that that was all that was keeping me connected to something more meaningful. And so now I just deep breath and I say, hello, God. And I exhale and I say, I'm here. That's it. It's like medicine. And I'm glad that you asked because I've created a new practice (laughs) that we've just spent a week producing and filming up here called the heart centering practice. And it's really like I consider myself a spiritual mutt. You know, I'm a cultural mutt. I'm a bit like French Canadian. I'm a bit indigenous. (laughs) You know, I'm a bit white, a little bit brown. And I'm a bit Buddhist. I'm a hungover Catholic. I'm super woo. (laughs) And that's what the heart centering practice is. It's a reflection of that. All my focus now in my life, and maybe for the rest of my life, is the heart. And I feel like I've finally gotten clear on, for, for me, why yogic breathing, some yogic breathing has not worked for me. I have to breathe into my heart. I don't want to breathe into my belly. You technically can't breathe into your belly. You fill your lungs up first. So you do some heart breathing. You ask yourself how you're feeling. Uh, My experience has been when I ask myself every day how I'm feeling, all the negative stuff is up first. And this is a great lesson on keep going with the inquiry. Don't stop there. Because underneath all that shadowy stuff, then I hear myself say, oh, I actually feel really calm right now. I feel so grateful. I feel so joyful. I feel so powerful. And then uh, you move into gratitude. Once you're in the heart, so easy to access. But really, don't make it an intellectual exercise. Bask, marinate in the gratitude. And then I think that has you, what's the word, plied? You're lubed up enough, basically, at that point that you can feel your presence. Yeah. And so you become aware of your presence. And then you bring into your heart your core desired feelings. And even if you haven't identified them and been through desire map and all of that, just like, how do you want to be feeling? And then I think that desired feeling comes with a message all the time. Like every desire has its fulfillment encoded in it. And uh, you ask your core desired feeling for a symbol or a message. Oh, and also before that, you bring in, and this is really my secret sauce, you bring in color into your heart with the feelings. The quick learning there lesson is color is like the encapsulation of energy. So like red has a certain frequency. It has an emotion. We all can relate to like pink has an emotion with it. It's even more than that. So you bring in some pinks and some whites and some golds because those are particular frequencies of love and clarity. Your core desired feeling gives you a cue and then you make a commitment to yourself in that moment that you're going to act on that. Yeah, and you take an encouraging thought and 
commit, give thanks, always wrap with thanks, everything, and out you go. And I do that now. That's my own medicine. And I do it uh, definitely in the mornings and throughout the day when I'm feeling anything but <laughs> my core <laughs> desired feelings. Yeah. yeah. And so is it like about aligning? Yeah. It's got to be practical. It's got to work in everyday life. Like if you can't use it in the middle of an argument with your dude or when your kid is testing you or in a traffic jam, like it's not useful to me. Like it has to apply to a traffic jam and transcendence. <laughs> that's, that's my metric for spiritual wisdom. So what do you think is like the most salient issue of our modern human condition? Like, what do we need to solve here? Loneliness. Loneliness is, it's almost like a pop culture term for separation from the divine. I think we all just want to go home. And we're looking for home in the dopamine, you know, it's like dopamine is the doorway to that. I think if we don't keep it in check, we just, we, we, I think a lot of us are feeling abandoned by God. Right. <laughs> yeah. Loneliness. Is your calling here on earth mm-hmm. to address the problem of loneliness? Yes. I would never have put it that way. I think what what I I know th- these are my terms for it. I want to help alleviate suffering and I want to amplify joy. And I think joy is the experience of you face your god self, you will feel joy. So just like let's get back to the truth of it. You're good. You're good no matter what. Even the most evil of us, the most evil amongst us, I think wants to go home wants to return to the light. Therefore, we're all go- I think we're all getting back to the same place. It's going to take eons. Is everyone, even the most evil amongst us, are they all deserved of that grace? Absolutely. Why not? Why not? I mean, I'm, I'm, right now, I'm thinking we're all God's children. Yeah. I'm thinking we all come from the same source. I think we learn through contrast. It's like we're going to learn about our wholeness by being in these separate bodies. We're going to learn about love through hate. We learn about joy through pain. You working through your suffering, thank you. It helps me. You being in your joy, huge service to humanity. Yeah. I'm struggling with my joy. Yeah. So when you now look out... I know you, you're actually, you don't like 10-year plans, do you? I think 10-year plans are just Bullshit. absurd. Yeah. <laughs> We're, I mean, look, look at both of us. We know each our stories. Like, did you think you'd be here 10 years ago? Like, this, my life looks nothing. Nothing. I was supposed to be doing all these other things. I was going to be way further along. Just way further along. And everything. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. God. I, by now, I should have won an Oscar for a documentary. Haven't even made a documentary. It's not what I do. <laughs> well, <laughs> but that's look not how fair. far that behind I am. Even count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, I thought I would have two children. I thought I would be with like the beloved. I want to, you know, have the, I want to die with my person. Um, I thought my house would be paid off. (laughs) Um, Just all these other things. But uh, I'm, this is a word I've just started to use this this year because I never believed it before. But like, I'm, there's a lot of bliss in my life. It's way better than I could have scripted. Yeah, there's some things I still really want, but uh, this is, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I'm right on time. You're right on time. Yeah. The heart knows how to find joy even in suffering. And and this is our personal challenge, to embark on this journey of discovery, to find and listen to the wisdom held deep within our hearts. Danielle's work is about getting clear about how we want to feel and finding our own unique heart-centered approach to living. The Desire Map course will be running free on Commune from May 20th to the 29th. Head on over to onecommune.com to sign up. And starting next week, we'll be airing daily excerpts right here on the podcast. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss them. Thank you for listening to the Commune Podcast. If you like what we do, please share us with a friend or better yet, leave us a review. I'd really, really appreciate it. It means a lot. That's all for now. I'm your host, Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next time.